me one week when I was out, uh, lesson four. I don't believe the audio was recorded, but we do have the handout up here uh, for that. This is the last Sunday of this quarter. Uh, you may be thankful for that. I, I'll tell you, I'm a little thankful for that. Uh, I'm tired, <laughs> um, but uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I want to tell you thank you so much because I've had so many good compliments and encouraging remarks by you during the course of this class. And it's, it is very encouraging as a teacher to get those things. Uh, Brother Kyle just started teaching. And uh, teaching is somewhat of a lackluster type of a job. Yeah, it's a thankless job most of the time. Parents don't usually t- thank you and and the kids definitely don't thank you when they're at school. Uh, you know, thankfully, being a Bible class teacher is a little different, especially in the adult class, because you all really respect that, I think, and uh, are so thankful. And I appreciate that. You don't understand how much that means to me to know that all the hours that I put into to this and the late nights that I stay up and, and work on things actually are appreciated. And so I appreciate that. I do hope that uh, the, the lessons that we've had have been beneficial to you. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed studying these questions. Some of them I haven't really explored or studied before. And so a lot of us always have these nagging questions about God in our mind. And so uh, we've gone through 10 lessons, 10 questions. I think it's answered a lot of those questions, hopefully, and uh, may have brought about some other questions in your mind, maybe. Uh, hopefully that will encourage you to, to pick that up, to keep searching for those answers. Uh, but I want to thank you for that. If you do want to copy the handouts, I think I've got an extra copy of at least every one of them up here on the front row. Uh, and if you want to copy those, please let me know. We'll probably keep those around for the next couple weeks and then trash what's left. Uh, I know there's a lot of lesson fours up here that may be when uh, a lot of us were out of town that week. But if, you, if there's any lessons that you've missed, if you can't find it up here, please let me know. I'll get a copy of it to you. Uh, also, for your reference, if you're interested in listening to me again... Uh, which I'm not going to say I wouldn't necessarily want to listen to me again, but uh, the lessons have been recorded. And so if you want to get online, I plan to uh, have all those links up today. Most of them are up already, but uh, they're online. Or if you have an iTunes account and you want to subscribe to the podcast, uh, just to let you know, you can search for Dalrada Church of Christ and find that podcast and subscribe and download all those lessons. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then don't worry about it. That means it doesn't apply to you. Um, but... Uh, These lessons, I think, are very interesting to me uh, because part of us as humans always grasp or gropes after learning about God. And I think that's because as being the created, we want to know more about our creator. And that is kind of the the intrinsic part of who we are. If you remember back in Acts chapter 17, when, when Paul's there talking to all those that are in Athens and talking about all the gods that they see around them, it's a very interesting to see the way that he parallels that to the, the, um, the intrigue or the um, curiosity that humans have toward deity, toward a, a, a god. And of course, you know the story there as you look at Athens and you know about all the Greek gods and those Greek gods were created so many different gods for so many different reasons, so many different names. And, and there on, on, on Mars Hill, as he's there in Athens, and he looks around him and he sees all these gods. He, he sees that these people are religious people. And the fact is that they seem to have this desire within them to, to honor, to worship, to glorify, to exalt a God above themselves. And that's an awesome thought. And in reality, it speaks volumes about a people when they have that desire within them. Now, just because you have that desire doesn't mean that you're correct always. 
Obviously, we know that a lot of people have a lot of good desires. A lot of people have uh, good intentions. That doesn't always mean that they're going to be good deeds following those good intentions. And he looked around him and he saw this altar to the unknown God. And he said, this is the God that, let me tell you about this God. The one that obviously y'all don't seem to know. And he talks about God and he, he explains to them that the idea and the, the concept and the aspect that, that this God is a God that seeks to be close to each of us. And he wants us to, to reach out to him. If perhaps, I believe it's about verse 24, that we might grope after him. That we may you just grab on, grasp our God. And that's what God wants us to be like. And God wants us to have that desire within Him. So I think as we've kind of gone through this study here and as we've looked at the various lessons that we have and, and the, the different questions that we've had with regard to these lessons, I hope that it stimulated you. Really, I hope it stimulated you to, to do further study. I hope it has made your mind uh, want to know more about those things that, that we've discussed and talked about, uh, that in fact you have opened up your Bible and studied even more Diligently, maybe some of these questions followed some of those rabbit trails we may not have gotten to in our classes, perhaps. If not, let me encourage you today, that's what we've got to do as Christians. I just got done reading a book, and uh, if you want a good book to read, and it's a spiritually focused book, it's called A Muscle and a Shovel. I don't know if you've heard of this book or not, but it's a, it's a book by a man who was converted from uh, the Baptist faith to the true church, the church that Christ purchased with his blood. And, and he goes through this book and talks about his conversion process. And all along that, the mindset that he had and the reason why he was converted ultimately was the fact that he was able to be given Bible answers for Bible questions. And we as Christians have got to understand that if we don't open up our Bible, if we're just relying solely upon human opinions or different dogmas or different doctrines that are, are passed down from the traditions of man, then we're in the wrong place. We should always be going back and looking at God's Word. And so this morning, obviously, I want to make sure that we've got our Bibles out and ready because that's where I want to look at some of the, the answers to this question. I'll be honest with you, this is not as complex of a question as some of the ones we've dealt with before. Um, we don't have as many ways to divert and go into and, and to discuss uh, as we discuss where did God come from because the Scriptures really talk about it pretty plainly. And of course, as we've discussed in this class, it's not a matter of us going back and proving that the scriptures are to be relied upon in this class. That's not the purpose. That's one of the things that we, uh, we I guess, at the beginning is a presupposition. We suppose at that point in time, go back and study that the scriptures can be uh, relied upon. But as we study the scriptures in this lesson, I think it'll be fairly clear to us to understand the concept and the answer to this question of where did God come from uh, in our lives. But I want to encourage us, look at the Bible, not just now, not just, just in this lesson, but as we go forward, as your study next quarter, I believe Sunday mornings, uh, Doug Smith's going to the, teach the, uh, the auditorium class. He's going to be talking about uh, the minor prophets. It should be a good study going through a lot of the minor prophets and the lessons that you learn from them and how it translates ultimately to us in the, the New Testament world, uh, the New Testament of Christ. And they do. There's wonderful applications from the Old Testament. We don't study it enough. I know on Wednesday nights, Derek Wilson's going to speak on the, on the Wednesday night class in the auditorium here uh, about the origins of the English Bible, kind of getting and delving into some of the, the origins of how we got our Bible. And I know we discussed that several quarters ago, briefly. He's going to devote a whole quarter upon it. And hopefully that will be edifying to you to, to be able to explore 
how we can rely upon God's Word because we've gotten it from those men who were inspired by God. And so I encourage you, continue studying, continue looking at your Word and uh, at God's Word, your Bible, so that you will be able to understand and ascertain those things that God wants. Let's look in this lesson here as we look at the, the question, of course, is where did God come from? And a lot of times it's, it's said in many different ways. Uh, you know, was God created is a common question that we ask sometimes. And, and uh, another way that some people uh, get and go at this, especially the, those of atheist persuasion and uh, trying to ridicule Christians and their faith, will all, all, sometimes use the causation uh, argument against the existence of God and, and try and throw that in our face and say, well, you're saying everything else has to have a cause. You know, uh, does God have a cause? You know, what is the cause of, of God's existence? And as you look at these questions, and they, they all get down to the, the ultimate question of really, is God eternal? Or what does it mean that be, God being eternal? What does that mean to us? Because the scriptures, as I said, are pretty plain. Um, where did God come from? Uh, the, the, the honest answer is he didn't come from anywhere. He just is. Now, of course, we could just fold up the book and, and say we're done for the class. Y'all have an early release. Y'all just fellowship. That's it. There's the answer to the question. And that being done, of course, that doesn't really reference the Bible scriptures that I, I want to get into. But that's honestly the answer to the question is that, that God didn't come from anywhere. And in fact, the, the question itself, where did God come from? actually insinuates or implies an argument there, the fact that God actually began somewhere. And in fact, that question itself is, is erroneous because God came from nowhere. Who made God? The answer is no one. Nobody. Nothing. No being. God just is. And so what, the, and I'll, I'll prove that, I'll look at the scriptures, and I'm not just going to leave you hanging with those answers. And like I said, I'm not just going to fold up the book and computer and say we're done. Class dismissed this morning. But it, it's, it's a fairly common or, or basic answer to the question. Now, our minds, unfortunately, <laughs> our minds aren't always satisfied with that answer. And in fact, part of that is probably because of our finite mentality. And again, we've talked about this and touched on this concept as we've gone through several other questions dealing with spiritual matters versus physical matters. And the spiritual realm, of course, is a whole other playing field than the physical field of play. And we've got to understand that, that our existence in this world is comprised of both. And it's a very interesting, it's a very convoluted at times, it is a very complex concept for us to get in our minds that it's not just all about the here and the now. It's not just about the physical, but there's a different dimension, so to speak, that we as Christians have got to consider. And really the whole world needs to consider as you move forward. And really that comes into play with a lot of different things that we don't fully appreciate the spiritual uh, situation of people's lives. You know, if we really focused on the fact that it doesn't matter the here and now, how much more active would we be in going out and teaching and trying to open up those doors of evangelism to others? Let I me mean, really think about it. I, know my, I, don't, I don't always probably do enough myself even. You know, and I'm sure all of us can probably agree with that sentiment that we probably could always do more. But in reality, if we had that such of a strong ideal, 
that it's not just about the here and now or the physical, but it really is more importantly about the, the spiritual, the eternal, we would probably be a little bit more active in our Christianity, wouldn't we? And I think that's the challenge that kind of besets us as Christians on a daily basis is, is realizing that these questions here, you know, where did God come from? Who made God? Uh, they, they really come about more on a physical level for us, trying to understand the nature of our God, when in fact, if we, we elevate our thinking to more of a spiritual thinking, we're probably going to understand that this is a little less important in the overall scheme because we can fully rely upon God and His commandments and, and His Word and those things that He's taught us and know that God just was. God just is. And God always will be. Whatever be verb you want to use, that's God. And I think that that concept in our mind sometimes gets a little foreign because we're so used to life beginning, Right? Uh, the births, and we celebrate the births of babies, the, uh, the, the mothers who are having babies. It's so exciting to, to think about that beginning of life. And we celebrate a birthday. Sometimes I wish we could celebrate a conception day, but, you know, we, we don't. It's kind of much more difficult to figure that out, I guess, for most people. Uh, you know, so, you know, obviously we celebrate a birthday. Why? Because we, we place importance on existence. Funerals, we celebrate deaths. Why? Because we celebrate, in some ways, someone's end of existence. I celebrate's a bad way to say that, I guess. Um, you're not always taking joy in someone dying. But you're marking it as a special event. You are uh, you're notating it on a calendar. Those of us who've lost those that are closer to us, we know every time that date comes around every year, we think about that. Why? Because existing in the physical sense matters to us. It's something important. Now, again, what about the spiritual sense? What about the spiritual sense? Uh, we don't always celebrate our Christian birthdays, do we? Not always. Sometimes I wish we'd do that a little bit more often. Celebrate that day that you were born again as a Christian. Um, and, and celebrate that, or uh, you know, realize every day how important it is to, to be a Christian in our lives. As we, we discuss this, I, I want to try and shift our minds, if I can, to spiritual matters and spiritual things, and try not to focus so much on physical things. Look with me. The first point in, in this class is, is looking at the fact that, that God always existed. And, and I like looking at a lot of these scriptures here. Uh, and we're going to look at several as we move forward here in, in this first point. This is really the, the crux of the lesson here. Uh, I'm going to make a couple other points that kind of go in and coincide with this. But, but God always existed. Always. Now, there are words used in our Bibles... That, that try and relay this concept to us in the English language. And some of those words are that, that God is eternal, that God is everlasting. Uh, some people, and I think some more common uh, translations, more of those that may, may be more of a summary type translations, use infinity uh, or the fact that it never ceases never ends. Those concepts are always 
kind of intertwine those words with respect to the concept of always existing, of being eternally in existence, to be everlasting in existence. And you look in the scriptures, and the scriptures really tell us uh, that God is everlasting in nature. Is, is, and I'm going to be using the New American Standard today. And uh, so I think that there, there may be some changes in, in the words used, whether it be eternal or everlasting in your passage of scripture. But in the Old Testament, we're told multiple times there about God being everlasting in his nature. Look with me. Psalm chapter, I mean, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Isaiah 40 and verse 28. Here the prophet Isaiah is going back and forth. And in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28, uh, here is uh, the response or one of the things that, uh, that Isaiah was, was told or said. Uh, and this is um, verse 28. It starts out and says, uh, do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might. He increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait upon the Lord will renew and gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and but not become weary. And of course, a lot of us use um, Isaiah 40, verse 31, and as one of those verses we've probably memorized and, and talked about, the, the strength and the, that we have with uh, waiting on God, that we can gain strength from that. But I think verse 28 speaks volumes about who God is. And in relation to this specific question we have today, the everlasting God... The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. He's everlasting. He's everlasting. Look with me. Psalms chapter 90, verse 2. Psalm 90 and verse 2. Of course, we see here the psalm, and this is a... um, it's actually recorded in, in my Bible, and, and most of y'all probably have these footnotes as well as being actually a prayer of Moses, the man of God. But uh, Psalm 90 is a wonderful psalm talking about God and the reliance upon God. And, and verse 1 starts out, says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting You are God. The Hebrew word everlasting, as you see on the screen there, is a word that means properly concealed. That is the the vanishing point. Generally, it's a time out of mind, eternity, perpetual. Uh, At any time, it's the beginning of the world or or the without end of the world. And so it is a, a word used there to differentiate a duration of time. And in fact, here in this scripture, as it's applied to God, of course, we see that it is a a concept of of God being from everlasting to everlasting would indicate the fact there is no beginning and there's no end of who God is, what His nature is, 
And God always existed as we see in this passage. Look with me. There's some other passages where, where the word translated there is a word that in the English language, eternal. It's a different word. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 33 is a good example of this. Look with me in Deuteronomy uh, 33 verse 27. And um, this is at the end of Moses' life, and it's a blessing that he resounds, which is kind of ironic, I think, as you compare it with Psalm chapter 90 there, and, and his realization of, of who God is, and what God is, and, and how God is. And you see there in, in uh, chapter 33, as he's going on, and he's pronouncing the blessings there from tribe to tribe, and going down, and, and you see at the end of those blessings, he, he talks in verse 26, he says, There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. Verse 27, the word we're looking for, says, The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you and said, Destroy. So Israel dwells in security, the fountain of Jacob secluded in a land of grain and new wine. and His heavens also drop dew. Blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. So your enemies will cringe before you and you will tread upon their high places. Verse 27, the eternal God is a dwelling place and underneath him are the everlasting arms. The Hebrew word here in Deuteronomy literally means the, the front of time or antiquity. It's often used adverbially uh, before anciently. So it's just really a, a reiteration or an emphasis upon the idea and concept of ancient time. And in fact, it enhances it to the point where you understand that it would mean, as it says, a time, eternal or everlasting in nature. And so the word there used from the Hebrew indicates, again, a duration of time which emphasizes the fact that it was before even the antiquity. It was before anything that was uh, uh, imaginable or understood by the people of Israel. Moses wanting to convey to them the fact that God was a part of them, but he was there way before they ever existed. The eternal God was there with his everlasting arms. In the New Testament, there's a couple other uh, references there, and, and uh, there's a Greek word used that's very similar to this Hebrew word. Uh, in fact, I believe when I looked at the Septuagint, which is the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, the, the, the Greek word used in both Romans 16 and 1 Timothy chapter 1 coincide with that which is used in Deuteronomy chapter 33. But look with me over in Romans chapter 16. As Paul is concluding the letter there to the Roman brethren, he gets into this, uh, this principle or this idea about who God is. And of course, verse 25, he says, Now to him who is able uh, to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, verse 26, and by scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment, of the eternal God has been made known to all nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever and amen. The, the glory, the, the honor that Paul wants to bestow is upon who? It's upon God. And God here is indicated as being the eternal God. And again, as you look at the Greek word here, it's a Greek word, Ionios, 
uh, which means perpetual. It's also used in, uh, of past time or our past and the future as well in its context. And so that's interesting as you think about the different uh, dimensions, so to speak, of the future or, or when does God ever end? Not just because was God created or, or how did, where did God come from? But really, as you think about uh, uh, does God ever end? And God doesn't ever end. This word eternal here in Romans chapter 16 helps underscore the fact that God is and God always will be in Romans 16. Look, flip over 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17. It's, a, it's kind of, a, of, a, of an echoing of what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1 17. He says, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And again, the word eternal used there. Another word that we seem to be more familiar with possibly is the fact of immortal. Two different words used in the passage there. Eternal being the same word and we're used in Romans 16, 26. Immortal again, seeming to convey something more of a duration in the future. And the fact that immortal means God will never end. But not just that. It's not just an a, a end of living concept, but God is not mortal. In fact, differentiating him from those of us who are mortal, being of mortal, being made of clay or being made of something of substance or of some matter, uh, something that is confined to some space and time, as you want to talk to the, the scientists, so to speak. Mortality means something that can be measured. Our lives are but a vapor in the wind, right? And so they can be measured, so to speak. We have a beginning and we will have an end. God on the end is immortal, means the negative of mortal. He, he has no beginning. He has no end. He cannot be measured. The duration of his life cannot be spanned. It cannot be understood or, or challenged. It, it is nothing that is to be grasped necessarily physically speaking. Uh, the idea and concept of us grasping or reaching after God is, is something a little different when you think of spiritual versus physical. We can't touch God necessarily. Why? Because God's spirit, it says in John chapter 4. Being spirit, of course, he's different. He's different. He is immortal, but he's eternal in his nature. And God, as we see here, is always existing, is always being a part, as, as, as always being involved, or is always being, always being. That's what God is. Now, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 is a verse that I love to go to. We've talked about this verse when we talked about the, the names of God. And I think it's very funny. Well, not funny, but it's ironic. As we conclude the series, we're kind of referring back to the same thing we started with. Uh, if you remember, our first lesson after the introduction lesson was talking about the different names of God. And, and as we got into the different names of God, one of the biggest discussions, one of the biggest names of God, so to speak, in the word, all the word, is that word Jehovah, the Yahweh which is a transliteration of the Hebrew text there for the name of God. And, and where do we get that? Well, that tetragrammaton, that, that name of God comes from Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Flip over there with me because this passage also speaks to our question today with respect to when did God come into being? Who made God? Where did God come from? Well, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 is wonderful. Why? Because it's God's own words explaining to us, answering to us exactly what is, well, who is he? And what about his nature? 
His existence. And if you look here, of course, in Exodus chapter 3, for those who may have missed that lesson in class, it's, of course, the burning bush there. As Moses is preparing or is being challenged by God to, to go and lead the people of Israel out of bondage there under Pharaoh's regime. And, and here in chapter 3, what you see is Moses before God. Verse 11, of course, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? What should I do uh, to bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And, and a God, and he said, by the way, that he is God. In verse, verse 12, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Of course, then Moses there in, in verse 13, as, as he says, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now realize this morning, we're not talking about the names of God necessarily, but a name, as we talked about, speaks volumes about an individual or a person, or in this case, volumes about who God is. Because as you look at the names of God, it pronounces so many lessons upon us as Christians to understand more fully of who God is because of what God is called. And so here, Moses is saying, who do I tell him? God, who do I say sent me? Because he understands the authority of God. He understands as as he's experienced this burning bush, the idea and concept of God being almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. He understands that. God, how do I convey that to somebody else? Moses says, who do I tell them sent me? And he says, God said to Moses, verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And the name Yahweh is so powerful to the point where there are some religions out there who only want to use Jehovah. You know, and if you ever get in a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, you understand the, the importance they place on Jehovah. And I'm not saying that Jehovah is not important. I think they place an undue influence and reference upon Jehovah uh, because that's not the only name used in scriptures as we talked about in that lesson for God or, or for Jesus or for the Savior. And, and we can get into that discussion. But Jehovah here speaks volumes in verse 14 about who God is and for purposes of the day, where he came from. Because his name literally means, I am. I'm not an English scholar, by any means. I think I've reiterated that multiple times throughout the course of this lesson, of these lessons. But I am indicates in the English language, and it also is the same indication as you you read and, and study the Hebrew language and understand what this Word and, and what Jehovah and Yahweh means to them. It is a, an indication of a being. No beginning. No ending. He just is. And as God's own name testifies about him, it is the fact that God indicates here that it's not that he was created by anybody. It's not that he came into existence by some other force or some other big bang or some other process or deliberation. God just is. And that's what the scriptures underscore to us. 
Now, it's not something that I think is easily grasped by us. And in fact, it's something that is, is very difficult for us to understand. Atheists try to throw it out. At, and you'll see the argument down at the end of the lesson there. Oh, hey, if you're saying everything's got to have a cause, well, what about God? God, God doesn't have a cause. Well, you look at the differentiation there is there is a distinguishment made in the scriptures and in our understanding of God being spirit versus God being something more physical in nature. And that differentiation helps us understand there is a difference involved. There's a difference involved for the gym. That's right. Hey, very good point, Jim. And correct. Yes. And what? What? And I know y'all couldn't all hear, brother Jim. And what he's pointing out is over in John chapter eight. Uh, as you look at the latter part of that chapter, there there is a discussion that Christ had in fifty six through fifty eight there with the uh, the individuals that were saying, "Who are you?" Trying to contest who he is. And you look there in the passage there. Jesus, of course, equates himself with the very existence of who God is. And you look there in John 8, and that's what a great point, Brother Jim, is you're looking at the the establishment in the New Testament of this very concept as well. Um, There, you know, Jesus is speaking to them, talking uh, about there to the people that uh, in verse 56, that that your father Abraham rejoiced uh, in uh, his day. And he saw it and he was glad. And the Jews said, you are not yet 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was born... I am. I am. You know, God, and of course we talked last week about the Trinity, and we talked about the idea of the Godhead, and uh, those, those concepts, the intertwining of those things. And, and God and, and Christ and the Spirit, as you see throughout scriptures, the, the assertions made there with regard to their divinity and their deity. And here you see Christ, of course, using the same phrasing, the same words God used in the burning bush, there to Moses saying, I am. Before anything, I am. Before the creation of the world, I am. And there's multiple scriptures throughout the Bible that indicate there that before even the creation, as Psalm 90 said, before the mountains came about, God was. He existed. And so the indication here that we see in the scriptures is that God always existed. Real quickly as we move on, and I'm about to, to lose this, this class, but second point I want to throw out to you, God never changes. We've talked about this in previous lessons. We can be assured that God's nature does not change. Malachi 3, verse 6, James chapter 1, verse 17, there's no shifting shadow. God does not change. He's the same. And, and like it said of, of Christ in Hebrews chapter 13, he's the same... Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, there will be no changing, no shifting, no deviation in who God is. God not only existed before, God exists now because He has not changed. God is in the same nature. He's in the same way. He functions in many of the same exact ways, actually. may use some different ways, but He functions the same way. He conveys His Word to us today. God doesn't change. And so we see the deviation from 
or no deviation from Him existing way before and always existing and never having to be created. And the fact that He is still the same form, uh, because God doesn't change, we can know He currently exists, He always has existed, and ultimately He will not change in the future, which leads me, of course, to the, the third point. God will always exist. Look with me, Psalm chapter 102. Psalm 102. We're getting short on time, and so I'm going to go pretty quickly here. But if you look in Psalm 102, great passage of Scripture as you look here at this point, that there's no end to God's existence. He will be here eternally. He will be here. He will just be, not here. I I I hate even putting a here on there because it, it confines God into some box. But if you look at verses 23 through 27, it says, He has weakened my strength in in the way. He has shortened my days. I say, oh my God, do not take me away from the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old you founded the earth and, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them and, and they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. As the psalmist aptly puts here, God will not come to an end. In our minds, we think that there is an end to things. We think of the end. And we fear the end. We, we, we look forward to the end of some events or some situations. When it comes to God, there is no end. He just is. And you also look here as you, you go through here and you realize this concept that, that since God is, since God will always be here, since God will always exist, He'll be here throughout all of the known time that we know. And known time, of course, to us is determined by the, the days and the years and the months, right? Dictated by God's creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And when time was initiated at the beginning of, of creation, God's going to be here throughout all of our known time. But He's also going to go on. He's going to be perpetual he'll be present at the judgment when time has ended he'll be there god will be post-judgment he will exist he will never end remember god has no beginning and god has no end quickly as i end this lesson as we go through i want to make this point to us and, and, and consider this is the fact that we will also experience eternity And as I I thought about this lesson, I thought about the fact that we focused on the eternal nature of God, the fact that that He's from everlasting to everlasting. I mean, guess what? Part of us, according to Scriptures, is also going to experience the same end. And I put end in quotation marks. End. Because there is no end, ultimately, to our spiritual souls. As you look at the Scriptures, what you see is we will experience eternity as well. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46 is a a very proper scripture for this point. In that day of judgment, God's going to look at us. He will pronounce judgment upon us, righteous judgment. And ultimately, either it says, send us to eternal damnation or eternal heaven. So we will experience eternality as well. We will have eternity in our lives. Where we spend eternity is going to be ultimately in our choices and will be up to our decisions and in our lives. Look real quick, the, the last three points that I want to make before we, as we close, of these three. We got a challenge. 
And that's not a challenge just for this lesson, but I think it's a challenge for this entire lesson series as we think about questions we have about God. First, as I said this morning, I encourage you at the beginning, we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says we've got to be the ones responsible for looking at God's word, rightly dividing that truth, making sure that when we parse out truth and fiction, we are on God's side in determining what is truth because God is truth. We've got to rightly divide the word of truth to find all the things that pertain to life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Realize, as we've got questions in life, as we've got questions in life, we can find the answers to those questions which are important with respect to life and godliness. And finally, in the end, realize enough is revealed and there may be some things that are not revealed. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a verse I have circled in my Bible. Why? Because as an inquisitive person, I want answers. I want to know every answer to my questions. And Deuteronomy 29, 29 reminds me that sometimes those secrets of God have not been revealed and will not be revealed. I may not have the answers, but I have the answers that are sufficient, that are needed, that are necessary to understand what I've got to do to be saved, what I've got to do to live a faithful life of service to God. Appreciate y'all's kind attention this quarter.